You're listening to a sermon from New City Fellowship in Manassas, Virginia. New City Fellowship is a diverse community that proclaims the gospel and makes disciples for the glory of God and the renewal of our city. For more information, visit newcityfellowship.net. Uh, we're going to be looking at the book of First Thessalonians, okay? Uh, this was a city, Thessalonica, in the Roman world. Uh, a church started there, and a letter was written to them uh, a number of years afterwards that says the, the following, First uh, Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 9 through 10. It says, For they themselves report to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Would you pray with me as we get ready to consider these words? Easter services, and it's just sort of on the, on the calendar, a, a ritual, and sort of feeling detached and disconnected from everything happening. Uh, in that place, would you meet us? Would you help us see this morning both the reality of Jesus's resurrection? Would you help us see um, the relevance of it to our lives? And, and would you help us to respond to the resurrection of Jesus in a, in a fitting manner? God, we welcome you to, to speak to us in these, in these few moments, and we, we pray that you would do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, uh, I, I love Easter service. I think I especially love it because it's been almost two years since we've sort of had this sort of normal feeling Easter service. We had the Easter egg hunt. Uh, you know, some of you dressed up a little bit. Uh, someone even said I look like a Presbyterian this morning. So I, next year I might, I might need to dial that back, especially when we're doing uh, baptisms. But uh, I, I love that. Uh, I, I love having families and guests here. And one particular feature I, I really enjoy about Easter is that it really does bring into this room probably a more diverse gathering of perspectives on Jesus than we normally have. So if, if I were to sort of summarize where a lot of us in this room are coming from, I think I could identify maybe three sort of perspectives, three points of view on Easter, on the resurrection. There, there are some of us, just if they were, you were to speak honestly, as you think about the resurrection of Jesus, your response is one of disbelief. Uh, you're just not buying it. Uh, maybe you, you just don't think it's metaphysically, scientifically, biologically possible. Uh, you're unpersuaded that it happened. Show of hands for that. I'm just kidding. You don't have to, you don't have to do that. It's fine. Uh, um, uh, there, there are others of us in the room that if I were to walk up to you on the street, and maybe it's because of how you were raised or just sort of what you've come to believe, and I were to ask you, hey, do you believe Jesus actually rose from the dead? I think your quick answer would be, yeah, I, I do. I, I believe that happened. But quite honestly, that belief doesn't affect your life in any way. Like, it's something that you would mentally say, like, sure, I believe that, but, but it carries no real relevance. It carries no significance in your life. And then there are other people in the room that you believe it happened, you see how significant, how relevant it is, and you're regularly asking the question, how do I respond to this news of the resurrected Jesus? How should I live in light of it? And I bring these categories. I'm not guilt tripping anybody. I'm so glad all of you are present. And I'm really glad, uh, especially for this passage, because as we walk through this passage, whichever of those camps you kind of find yourself in this morning, I think this passage actually has something to say to each of us. And so uh, what I want to observe in the next few moments as we look at these very old words that were written about the resurrection of Jesus is uh, I, I want to pull the following points from it. Number one, this passage is going to show us that the resurrection of Jesus is real. It's a reality. Number two is going to show us that it's relevant. It carries incredible significance, relevance to our lives. 
And then finally, number three, um, it, it does in fact require it in some way. And so uh, let, let's look at that first point. What, what we're saying here is that we believe, and this passage is teaching, is that the resurrection of Jesus is real. So first of all, Paul says here to this early church that uh, they turn from idols to serve the living and true God. And then he goes on to further elaborate on this living God. He says, to wait from his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So what we are saying this morning, just to not mince any words, is the, the resurrection of Jesus is a historical reality. There was a real man. His name was Jesus. He was born uh, in Israel in the first century. He, he lived. He uh, was unjustly tried. He was tortured. He was put on a cross. One thing you knew about people who were put on crosses back then is that they did not come off of them alive. He was put to death. They laid his body in a tomb. Uh, he stayed in that tomb uh, until, uh, from Friday until Sunday morning. And then what we are saying is that lifeless, dead body in human history, uh, in reality, came back to life. Once again, Christ is risen. He's, he's risen indeed. That, that's, that's a historical reality that we are proclaiming this morning. And I recognize absurd. Uh, maybe your response to it is one of skepticism, uh, one of cynicism. But what I simply want to leave you with this morning is that this belief is not just like spiritual, emotional hype. Okay, I know we are doing like a pep rally with the Christ has risen, but, but what I want to suggest to you is that there are good reasons, historical, rational proofs evidences that we can look to that demonstrate that this did in fact happen in human history. There are a number of them that we could look at. What I want to look at you, uh, one evidence, one argument you could say for the reality of Jesus's resurrection is the response of the first century Christians. People right after this event took place, their response. Now, I was raised in sort of the Da Vinci Code era uh, when the Discovery Channel, there was like a Discovery Channel Jesus and you couldn't, you just watched what was on TV back then. Anyone remember that? Like you didn't just find your perfect movie or whatever on Netflix. And sort of the, the thought about Jesus and his resurrection went, he was put to death. But over the centuries, over time, over the decades, some ideas about him continued to spread. Uh, and, and he began to be like mythologized, like I, myths about him began to spring forward. And so over time, they began saying, hey, this Jesus actually came back to life, like he, he was resurrected. And then, you know, people in powerful positions like Constantine, hundreds of years later, basically solidified that, made that to be the case. But point being, this is something that developed over time. But what I simply want you to observe is that in this very early document, so this is perhaps the second, uh, as far as dates go, book in your New Testament, the resurrection of Jesus is not only mentioned, but it's mentioned in passing as though it's just common knowledge. Uh, not like Paul is saying, hey, I have this new thing to tell you about Jesus, just common knowledge around the late 40s, so uh, shortly under 20 years after Jesus was resurrected, Paul just simply says, um, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus. So very early on, with it, right after the events happened, you have people who are believing that Jesus really rose from the dead. And you would maybe rightly respond, well, of, uh, sure, they believed it. They were unenlightened or anything. But what I would suggest to you is that if you look more closely, the first century Christians were just about as readily to accept the idea of a resurrected body as the most skeptical people in this room are. 
In other words, there was no categories in anyone's mind that a human body would come back to life, both for Jews, who was one in human history, groups that had no category for it happening in the middle of kind of human history like it did, and then Greeks, on the other hand, uh, they believed that physical bodies, they were, they were bad. You would never resurrect with a physical body. They, they, they thought of a spiritual resurrection. And so philosophically, rationally, there was no good reason for people to just readily accept this. But underneath even the rational or philosophical obstacles to believing in the resurrection of Jesus was a more personal obstacle that these first century Christians would have. And uh, that obstacle is hit so well. There's this historian, his dad, Larry Hurtado. He wrote a book, great title. This is the title. Why on earth did anyone become a Christian in the first three centuries? That's the, that's the title of the book. And what he goes through in this book is he basically recognizes that there were no incentives there were no good reasons to believe that Jesus was raised from the dead and begin following him. And I'll just read you very briefly this morning. He said, uh, the spread and the success of Christianity in the earliest centuries is all the more surprising, even puzzling, if we take account of the costs and the consequences for those who became adherents. He's saying it's puzzling that this spread because there were costs, there were consequences. He, he goes on to say, that is, there were particular disincentives to becoming a Christian, which makes the continued appeal of early Christianity uh, to, to various groups um, all the more striking. This is, this is the point that this historian is making, that there was no real good reason to believe in the resurrection of Jesus and to become a disciple of his in the first three centuries. A couple of those disincentives were this. One were the social, the relational disincentives. We, we read about in this passage how these early Christians turned from idols. In those eras, uh, in, in cities like Thessalonica, cities like Ephesus, uh, there would be more idols, more gods than we have like salad dressings at grocery stores. There were gods and idols everywhere. So for you to be employed, most likely your employer had some kind of God that you maybe gave some homage to as a part of your employment. Or at your family gatherings, there would be some statue, some family relic of a God, of an idol, that in order to be a part of that familial gathering, you, you would pay homage to that idol. What he's saying is to, to turn your back on those things would have been a slap in the face to your employer a slap in the face to your family, to disengage from these core traditions, these, these core beliefs that your family held would, would completely alienate you, would completely ostracize you from your family, from your job. Uh, and then, of course, there was Christianity, so local governors in cities like Ephesus, you can read about it, the starting of the church in Thessalonica. Uh, the government strongly opposed the spread of these uh, early churches. And then at times, all the way up from Caesar himself, there would be fierce opposition, torture, death for following Jesus, all of this boiling down to one simple point, like the author titles his book. There was no good reason to believe that Jesus rose from the dead and to follow him as though he did unless you were persuaded that it actually happened. There was no good reason. There was no earthly advantage to following Jesus in the first three centuries. But it's these people who were able to investigate for themselves, talk to the eyewitnesses, make sure that what they were beginning to believe was actually true. And so herein lies one of the, 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 the best reasons that I encourage you to explore further that pertains to the reality of Jesus's resurrection is that it was so unlikely that anyone would believe this news unless they were persuaded that this was real. 
that there was a tomb that once had a body in it that no longer had a body in it because it had raised from the dead. That's just the first takeaway from this passage this morning. Number one is that the, the resurrection of Jesus is real, incredibly relevant, incredibly important. It's one thing to say that it happened. It's quite another thing to say this carries significance, this carries weight in my life. And uh, I'll just put it plainly for us this morning. Why is it so relevant to state it plainly Jesus' resurrection has the potential to free us, deliver us from our biggest dread, our worst enemy, our greatest foe. Jesus' resurrection has the potential to deliver us, to free us from death itself. From death itself. Our greatest enemy, our worst fear, Jesus' resurrection has the power to deliver us from that very thing. And I think previous generations saw the significance of Jesus' resurrection because, quite honestly, they'd had to deal with death in ways that were different than we do in, in our era, in our day. So if you were alive just even a hundred years or so ago, our approach, your relationship to death would look very different. I'm gonna talk about death for a second, but we'll get out of it. I know it's Easter morning. We won't stay here long, okay? Uh, but consider this. If you were living in the colonial era, one out of every three children born in your home would not make it to adulthood. Like it was a regular thing that you would see even young people die. Uh, even in, in that era, the, the average life expectancy was, uh, was just uh, 40 years, was the average life expectancy. And with us, what we've sort of been able to do, one, with, praise God, medical advancements, we've been able to delay death until way longer in life and bring way down uh, infant mortality rates. But another thing that, that's different is that uh, when death takes place in our society, it does very removed from us. So perhaps in nursing homes, in hospitals, Whereas if you were living among the rest of human history, death would be happening all the time and it would be happening uh, right in front of you, in your home. It wouldn't be uncommon for you to see death right around you all the time. And so obviously when death is happening at that frequency and that, at that visibility, the idea of being delivered from death is certainly a lot more relevant. For us, we're able to sort of have a different approach we're able to ignore or set aside the prospect of death to where a resurrected savior who delivers us from death, maybe that'll make sense for me way down in life, but it doesn't carry a lot of weight, a lot of reality to us. I think we have a couple approaches to death. Either one, we, we kind of try to pretend that it's not our problem, or, or number two, we realize we're gonna face it, but we don't have the resources. We don't have the hope, the strength to face it when it actually comes. I remember seeing sort of this take place in my own life a few weeks ago. It was really a kind of dramatic situation. I was riding on Route 15 up to Leesburg, very fast road, and I pulled up. I was one of the first few cars to pull up on a very significant accident. Like cars were completely uh, collapsed on the front end and um, a, a completely horrific scene that I pulled up on. And, you know, some people, like, they isn't my issue. They just pretend. Uh, I, I stopped my car. I got out. I started walking there. But I wasn't expecting this because I knew people needed help. But as I started walking closer, I found myself slowing my steps. I found my heart rate increasing a little bit, not because of the dramatic uh, needs that might be present, but I was quite confident 
that I was about to face death itself. Like the cars looked so bad that I was quite confident I was going to have to face someone who was killed in, in that moment. And there was this response of like, I don't want to get close to that. I don't want to see that. I don't want to draw near to that. That's not something that I have the tools or the resources to deal with. Now, thank God, everyone in that accident by some miracle ended up being okay. Help got there. They pulled everything out, but everything was fine. But it it got me thinking, I think, about our modern relationship to death. It's either go around it. It's not my problem. Just pretend it doesn't exist almost and move about your life. Or two, realize that it's coming but don't have the, the resources, the tools, the, the, the strength in order to be able to embrace it, perhaps like previous generations did. But I just, again, this is the last thing I'll say on death for us on Easter morning. We, I just want us to be aware that death has a 100% success rate. Um, someone once said that the, all the plagues, all the wars in the world have not raised the human mortality rate by even one. Because all of us, no matter how young or healthy we are, all of us will have to face the reality of death. And it is into that reality. It is into that reality that the resurrection of Jesus is so relevant, so significant, so powerful. And it, it, it allows us to have the resources and the tools to not fear death, though we ought to have some degree of fear, but allows us to approach it with a degree of hope, a, a recognition that that is not all there is. I love how one author put it this week. He said, because of Jesus... For those who respond rightly to Jesus, all death can do to you is make you happier and more loved than you've ever been in your life. All death can do to you is cross you into an eternity in the presence of God where you live with him forever because of the resurrection of Jesus. Did you hear what he said here? He said that we are waiting for his son from heaven. How does Jesus deliver us from death? How does it relevant to us? Uh, It's because he was victorious over death. That's what we celebrate this morning. And get this, Jesus's resurrection is a representative victory, okay? So uh, in ancient times, when countries would go to battle with each other, sometimes they would have their best warriors fight one another. For example, David and Goliath. And whatever happened out of that battle, you either won or you lost based on your representative. Guess what Jesus was for us when he went into death and came out the other side? He was our representative warrior. He faced death as our representative. He experienced it for us so that he can deliver us from it. He can free us from the power of death so that uh, when we experience it, if we are in Christ, what we will experience is crossing over into being more loved and happy than we've ever been in our entire lives. That's what Jesus has done. That's why it's relevant. All of us will die, but to all who put their faith in Christ, so they shall also be made alive. He delivers us from the wrath of sin, the wrath of death that is given to us because of our rejection of God. He sets us free from it. So so finally then, the thing for us to consider is, what is the response to this news? We've just considered briefly, and then finally, our response. It's not enough to just hear hear this news and say, whew, I'm glad that Jesus did that. That's great. There has to be a personal response in our own lives to this news of his resurrection. And so as I look at this passage, I would invite you to consider yourself, what has your response to Jesus's resurrection been? Even as you sit here now, like what is your 
What is your response? If you're persuaded that it happened, how do you respond to it? I think these early Christians set a good example for us for what the proper type of response is. Let me read one more from Verslonians. And the report is the kind of reception we had. What's the, the first response to the gospel? The first response to the gospel is one of receiving it. More than just historical information in your head, but personal information that reaches your heart where you say, not only did Jesus die and rise again, but Jesus died and rose again for me. Like he was my representative. That happened on my behalf. As uh, what we, it said, in my place condemned he stood. It wasn't just historical. It was something that was done for me. What he's saying here is that the, the Thessalonians received that news. They heard that news, and even though it was unpopular, even though it would cost them, they said, Jesus did all of that for me. But then how can you tell if you've had that kind of response to the resurrection of Jesus? Like, how do you know? How, how do you know if you've just sort of mentally checked the box or if it's become a personal reality in your life? How do you know that you've received the news of Jesus's death and resurrection? Well, it's what they did afterwards where you can tell that you received it. When you receive this news, it's very simple. You, you just believe it for yourself, but it never, it leaves your life completely different. No one who receives the news of Jesus's death and resurrection personally are ever the same. And you read about it right here. It says, they themselves report the kind of reception we had among you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. How do you know that you've received the news of Jesus's death and resurrection personally? It has a sort of explosive um, dramatic response in your similarly to them say I want to spend the rest of my life serving the true and living God I, I've heard of religion and I've heard of you know people who seem really hyped about this setting that aside I am so impacted that God would send his son to die for me and to raise for me that I now want to spend the rest of my life turning away from anything that's not a real God and the rest of my days serving the true and living God. I would ask you in their seats this morning, uh, maybe you would say you believe it happened, maybe you even see its relevance, but has it so impacted your life that you have said, from this day forward, I want to serve God. I want my life to be about him. I want to follow him and pursue him. I, I want to serve Jesus. Let me just say this in closing. One, if you are trying to figure out what that looks like, what does it look like to respond to the resurrection of Jesus in a way where I serve God with the rest of my life? Hey, this is a great place to learn how to do that. There are people sitting in the same seats you've sat in before trying to sort that out that have begun this journey and had their lives transformed. In fact, you're gonna hear some of their stories this morning. This is a great place to begin learning how to do that, how to, to live in light of Jesus' resurrection. So in, in summary, let me just say this. There, there are some of you in this room, prior to this conversation, no real sense that, that Jesus ever rose from the dead. My encouragement to you is pursue it further. Study it further. Read the gospel accounts yourself. Others of you that perhaps you believe that it happened, but it's carried no real relevance in your life. What I would say to you this morning is this uncomfortable conversation about death and car wrecks, let it be like a cold cup of water to your face. Let it wake you up. 
Let it wake you up to the reality that life is not going to go on forever. There is uh, the reality of death and let the resurrection of Jesus be, become relevant to you as you face the reality of your death. And then finally, if you believe it has to him, even now saying, I wanna spend my days turning from everything that's not a God and spending the rest of my days serving Jesus in light of all that he's done for me. Let me pray for us right now and then I'll set up communion in just a second. I invite you to bow your heads uh, with me as we, we take a moment to pray. Father, would you just help us to have the space in this moment just to consider these truths, your, your real resurrection, what it means for our lives and how we should respond to it. Pray for the different people in this room that um, would approach this topic from, from different perspectives, from different places. I pray that you would meet them now. Man, we're gonna hear stories of people who saw all of these points, that, that it's real, it's relevant, and that it requires a response. We're gonna hear their stories in a minute, but I pray that you would make new stories in this room, if not even in this moment, maybe in the weeks and months ahead of pursuing and studying this news. I pray that you would draw people to yourself. And, and finally, Lord, I pray as we get ready to come to the table, those who believe this message, I pray that they would ask themselves, am I actually serving God? Has the, the resurrection of Jesus so impacted me, so changed me, that I want to spend my life, my energy, my resources, devoting myself to Jesus. I just pray for your conviction for, for people that maybe have gone astray a bit, people who have wandered off the, the path of following you. Oh, I pray that the, the power and the glory of your resurrection would draw them back in at this moment. To say, as for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. In light of all he's done for me, how could I not give my life to him? Father, would you meet us in this moment? as we celebrate these truths in Jesus' name, amen.